listening to a Clovis Hills podcast. You're about to hear from one of our teaching pastors. I want to encourage you, go download the Clovis Hills app where you can listen to sermons, you can give, you can do the growth group questions. They're on there too. And you can study God's word together. God bless you guys and go be the church. Good morning, Hills family. How are we doing this morning? Yes, yes, it's a great day, it's a great day. I want to say good morning to our online community right now that's watching. Good morning to those of you that are in our acoustic service right now in the venue. Um, I stuck my head in there. They, they, gosh, it's such a great uh, service in there. I encourage you, check it out one day. Good morning to our Old Town campus, to those of you that are in Novato, California, uh, Porterville, all of you that are watching. And then uh, I'm just going to say a special good morning um, he's not watching live right now, but I bet he will be listening on Tuesday morning on his way to work. Good morning, Brandon. Anyways, that was just a guy that let me know he listens to the podcast every week. So I thought I'd say good morning to him. Anyways, it's our 30 year anniversary. It's a good day, right? It's a great day. And um, we have something a little d- different for you today. You know, we, um, gosh, and if you're watching right now, I, w- I want to clue you in. Um, here at our North Campus and probably in Old Town, they probably suffered with this too. There's a marathon going on in our city right now. It's near impossible. Like I woke up this morning and literally my neighborhood was an island. There was no exits out of my neighborhood. And I had to get my son here. Um, for He's on the worship team and I had to get him here at 645 and we were late and we couldn't get out. And finally I just said to him, I said, son, we're just gonna blow through the, the thing and I'll take the ticket. It's okay, man. <laughs> So I, I come creeping up to the thing and I see this cop and I'm like, oh shoot, should I go? And I got out of the car and I waved at him and I realized it was Officer Jason Hurley. He's a member here. And <laughs> he goes, you need to get to work? I was like, yeah, he let me drive through the marathon. So it was great. So I'm here because someone was out being the church. Anyway, so <laughs> crazy day. But uh, it's, it's happening and we're going to celebrate. So we're doing it in, in a little different way. We're not, there's not a sermon this morning. It's going to be an interview. And before I call him up, I just want to give you a little preface. Um, 30 years ago, Steve and Shirley Davidson, actually really 31 years ago, they, prob- they set out to start this church and there were no people in this church. There were no buildings. There was nothing. It was only a dream. And um, they brought some people along. And how many of you in the room right now were part of that group that started this church really quick? How many? We have a few hands going up here. Now you, were, you weren't in utero, <laughs> right? Their daughter's like, that. I was the drug baby. I was drugged to church as a baby. Um, that's kind of how it works. So um, I actually, one, uh, I invited Pastor Kimberly McNeil to come and be part of this day. Because um, she was just a, a big part of Steve's ministry. So um, what we're going to do is we're, I, I'm just, I think I'm just comic relief. I'm not even eye candy. I know that. Um, <laughs> I don't even know what I'm doing up here, but I'm going to sit there while they really kind of share the story of Clovis Hills and, and, and how things went. And um, so here's what I would love for you to do is to give a huge honor um, to Steve and Shirley Davison as they come up here right now. Um, and Pastor Kimberly McNeil. I know. Uh, 
I'm be honest. I don't know what I'm doing here. Kimberly, you're driving, okay? Check. <laughs> um, yeah, I am, I am Kimberly McNeil, and um, I was thinking today, I was 26 years old when I came to Clovis Hills, and uh, was the privilege of my life to be part of all that God has done here. And I was thinking, you know, 30 years, I cannot decide if that's a long time or a short time. Because when I look at Clovis Hills, so much has happened here in 30 years. I mean, it's amazing. And, uh, and, and there's also the fact that well, as I look around on this trip, um, probably half the staff was not born yep. then. <laughs> that's true. So there is a story to tell that, that many have not heard. And, uh, and so I just think there's something to learn uh, from something that lasts, from something that God does, and from people who are people of faith mm. who take that step. And I want to read you the scripture, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And it's something to remember that 30 years ago, this didn't exist. I mean, certainly the building didn't exist. Certainly there were no people. And, and, and I dare I say this because this seems old. There was not email, Instagram, nor Facebook. <laughs> We actually mailed things to people's home. Carrier, and it was expensive. Pigeon. And you it know. was expensive. <laughs> so uh, things, things were different, right? Um, but, but, but more than that, at the time in Fresno Clovis area, there were no what we now call contemporary churches. None. And there weren't really even that many in the United States. It was a totally new kind of thing. And so... When Stephen Shirley took on the, the, uh, the mantle of starting this church, it was going to be the only one. There was nothing to look at. There was nothing to model after too much. I mean, it was all about what was God going to do that was completely different than anything anybody had done in this city before. And, and there's something about being the people who can see something when there is nothing in front yeah. of them at that point. Yep. And... Uh, and, and not just the contemporary church, but at the time they would have said that, that you would have said you wanted to plant a new kind of church. And so t can you tell us what was it that was the new kind of church that you were planting here? Yeah. Do you want to answer? Sure. I'll jump in first. Um, when we were in seminary, we were asked the question or given the question, what does the church look like in the 21st century? And... Uh, church was declining. I didn't grow up in a strong, uh, strong church background. Uh, so I was wide open to that question of what would it look like. I knew it wasn't particularly relevant for me what was going on at that time. So our assignment was to spend four or five days in a bar in Houston. So yes, you were born in a bar in Houston. <laughs> sounds uh, like a joke. A pastor like and his a, wife walk into a bar, bar right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But... Our task was to ask the people, the culture of a bar is very much like the culture of a church. People go to a bar for the, almost the same reason many of you come to church, and that's the fellowship, that piece of connection you make with other people. And so we were in this bar. Different product. Maybe, <laughs> different yeah, product. different product, different beverage usually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so we're, we're there, and you have to go a few days because you're just they're suspicious of you. So you have to go back a few days, learn where people sit and where you don't sit, 
and very much like Cheers, that, that's a real life thing. So we, were, we would ask people, when they were comfortable with us, you know, if, um, if they went to church, why they went to that church, almost always, it was a family deal. That's where they grew up or that's where their parents went to church. But what we were really after is for the people why you didn't go to church. And, and we're doing research. I mean, that's really why we're there. They respected that we were doing research. And so we're taking on notes. And I figured we'd come out with a whole lot of reasons of why people don't go, didn't want to go to church. And really, there were only five. And we brought those five reasons back and embedded them in the core values of Clovis Hills in our move toward starting a church that would be relevant in the 21st century. We looked up people who don't go to church, why they don't go to church, and what would it look like to build a church that would meet their needs. The, one reason, the first reason they didn't go to church is they didn't have time. Uh, time churches, if you remember Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday, all of that kind of stuff that I personally hated. So um, they didn't have the time to go to church. Uh, the next one you've heard a hundred times, the church is full of hypocrites. Yes, it is. And we're all them. Yeah. So, that's why we uh, welcome that's you. Why, yes, yeah. why we're here, you know, is because we're all hypocrites. And the church is full of hypocrites. All the church wants is your money. That one came up a lot. I dress up all week. I don't want to dress up in the week, on the weekend. And the last one was because it doesn't make a difference. It's irrelevant. It doesn't matter what I hear. It doesn't make any difference in my life. So we took those five things that we learned in a bar in Houston, and they're the foundation of the core values of what we believe the church would look like in the 21st century, and that's where we sit today. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Good. Mm -hmm. The opposite, though, right? You, you weren't like, yeah, we're going to build a church full of hypocrites that's boring and irrelevant, <laughs> and you wanted the opposite is opposite. what you're going for. Yeah. Let's go do opposite. <laughs> Um, you read the verse about faith, and you know you ask about you know what kind of faith does it take. So that's research side. On on the faith side, uh, I think the way you grow faith is is you discover what God wants, and then you you wrestle with yourself to seek God during the difficult circumstances of life, so that you eventually prove that He is real and His word is true, and it will see you through. So you have to not become resentful when things don't go your way. So a major thing with us is that in years five and six of our marriage, we just about lost our marriage. And oh, my gosh. What? <laughs> Speak clearly. Um, are you guys tired of this story yet? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm really tired of this story, but that's okay. This is 11 months of 51 years that we are referencing. <laughs> that's fine. Go, they want to hear. <laughs> By the way, that's not put on. Every time I bring it up, she says the same thing, no matter where, where we are. Kimberly and I are like, Mom and Dad are arguing. <laughs> uh, but the reason that's important is that's where I really discovered that your marriage could be dead on arrival and God can resurrect dead marriages. Yep. Yep. So when, when I knew I was coming to Clovis, where there's lots of young families... And I know many of them are stressed. The faith I had that we had a message that would work came out of my experience of proving God. Uh, yeah, another thing is, we, we, this is the second church we started. The first church we started had every problem you could imagine. It took seven years to grow to uh, 100. 
I mean, we went through two church splits. We were kicked out of the Southern Baptist Convention for a year. It was, it was just bizarre. It might be a badge of honor at the same time. I mean, <laughs> it could <you> be. <laughs> but you, and the key there is not to run away or become resentful, but to learn to lean into God and do right when the circumstances don't feel right. Yeah. And then you see God come through at some point. That's how you build your faith. And so when, when we were being asked to you know, start a church in Clovis and I saw all these young families, I took my learnings from a church that didn't work. So God uses every suffering and problem you've ever had. And, uh, and then I, our learnings from how God works in a marriage. And we, we took that faith into birthing this church. And I saw how many young families are here. I actually believed, and I'm not a charismatic, and I can't even explain this to anybody, not even myself. Before the church started, once I got the vision of what God wanted with the kind of the five anti-values that she talked about, um, I, I believed with, from the core of my being that someday we would be a church of 1,200 people. Mm-hmm. And I can't explain it, and I preached it in our first sermon here, and, it, and it's actually come about. In fact, when you came, you said... There were almost 1,200 that day. Well, my, my first Sunday here nine years ago, there were 1,198 was, yeah. the, was the attendance. Yeah. And mm-hmm. like one, one of the things that, you know, as we talked about this, when you started this church, there was no church near that size in the city of Clovis. Like when you said 1,200 people went, what? Yeah. That can't happen kind yeah. of thing. And that, that you spoke it in faith. Yes. And then God has carried it out and, yes. and, and continues to. So that's yeah, especially thing. in our denomination is probably nothing above about 400. I, I just realized there was a need and God is a gracious God and he loves people and he wants something for them. So that's kind of how it began. And yeah. uh, now there's a lot that we could say about the, the how it was lived out um, strategically and we, the creativity you know, back then, things that, were, that worked then that no one would ever do now. I mean, that's what it's all about. Uh, you, things keep changing. And, uh, but, but one of the things that was so uh, important and that we, we saw every single week, I, I, I felt like every week somebody said it, that Steve was a different kind of preacher. I mean, in a, in a, in a culture at that time where to go to church was described as mostly boring and the idea that everything was very formal, Every, the preacher, the preacher was very serious. And, uh, and yet Steve had what we called an authentic preaching, a joyful preaching. And it was different than what everybody else was doing around town. And, uh, you know, Jesus told stories. I remember, and you told stories. And, uh, and there was something about um, every week someone would say, many would say, uh, Steve, I, you were talking right to me. They'd tell everybody, I felt like Steve was talking right to me. Different people would write notes and say, I feel like you're reading my mail. Mm. You know, remember that? Mm-hmm. All the time. Yeah. And so that was, a, so the authentic preaching was really important, I think, and has remained a foundational thing at Clovis Hills. So the question is, uh, how is it that you had the boldness to be different than your peers? Because mm. uh, it wasn't easy. And then where did the messages come from? How, how did you and God decide what you were going to say? Mm-hmm. Well, the, the truth is, uh, Sean and I do have spies in your bedroom. So just so you'll know. Yeah. <laughs> gnomes. Yeah, gnomes, gnomes. Yeah. They live in your closet. Um, you know, 
I, do, <laughs> I have to compare us. I, I love this man. I love coming to church every time I get to come, and he, he is so more gifted than I am. It's, it's really fun. But the truth is, his gifting is totally different than mine. He's more like a yapping t- chihuahua. Oh. Boing, 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 boing. I will bite you. I will bite your ankles. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't have his social skills. I mean, you could give him half a minute and a topic, and he could preach for half an hour, and it would be great. Uh, I need like three weeks or something, and then I need to take a nap after I talk. <laughs> so I don't have his skills. So in the early days, I, I, I tried to tap into what I knew about how God works in, in my life. And then I, I got a lot of information from pastoral counseling, where there's one-on-one times. It's not really counseling, but there's direction where we listen. And by listening deeply, I could feel the kind of things that you're going through. And by having 20, 30 years in the Word of God, I could connect the dots about how those two change. And if I talked about it, in fact, I would bring a stool out in the early days and I would sit on it to calm me down. Uh, and, and then just, I gave more of a talk rather than a sermon. And so I was just trying to work with what, what I knew and what I had. But that connecting real life to the Bible and vice versa was probably part of the key that, that made it work in the early days. Uh, and we're different. He and I are different, but the power of God is the same in both cases. And I love, I love my pastor. This is my pastor. You use a Hi. stool. I use Ritalin. <laughs> I love our pastor too. And I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled every time I get to hear Sean. And the bench at this church is very deep. We have a great teaching staff. However... My favorite for 51 years has always been Steve. Better be. And, and it wouldn't have to be that way. Because, not just because I know his heart, but I have never heard him preach the same sermon twice. I have heard some stories ad nauseum. But I never preached the same sermon twice. And every one of those sermons come out of specific prayer, specific timing, specifically what he hears the Lord telling him the people need to hear. And I think that's a key yep. to his teaching is that it was fresh. It never came out of a file. Mm, yep. I think that's probably all we got. To, well, as I, Forrest Gump said, that's all I got to say Let about the Chihuahua that. chime in for a minute. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, because Steve, one of the things that I think is unique to your teaching style is um, you have this beautiful aversion to guilt. As pastors um, and just religious communities in general tend to use guilt as a weapon yes. to get people to do what they want. And your aversion to it, you, you almost come with your arms around people rather than trying to poke them or move them somewhere with guilt and say, I'm following Jesus, come with me. And there's something so beautiful to that because what happens is people actually choose to. And when you choose to, that's when, like, really you've made that heart decision to follow Jesus. And that comes out of kind of your no-guilt policy that you just are not going to guilt people into the kingdom of God. And it's beautiful. So that, that would be my observation of really something great about your teaching. I, I want to thank you because you, you were able to describe something that, I've, that I do live out but probably couldn't have said as clearly as you did. The one great insight I had in starting the church is I had I had come to see that God loves people. He does, he's not mad at people. Mm-hmm. In fact, let me say this. 
God loves every one of you. Yeah. And some of you are still hung up on God has to be mad at me because of what I did last night or last week or last year. And once I realized that, then every week I came and I taught people that God loved more than I did. And so I could love you and do love you. And, and I, I didn't have to, I, I just invited you. So, so when, when I got there, then preaching was no longer selling. I wasn't yeah. selling the church. I wasn't selling Jesus. I was offering real answers to real people that God loves. And it really just, that's probably, but thank you for saying it that way. That's a great way to say it. I think that's true. I remember we, we always said if Clovis Hills was going to air, we would air on the side of grace. Yeah. That was the plan. Amen. I don't know if we did it 100%, but we were trying. Yeah. 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 Um, so, so you can hear, I mean, you're sharing the, like the heart of the mission of Clovis Hills and, and sharing the gospel and what, what, was, what, what was behind that in the heart. But there always is still strategy. There's always um, plans of how, you, how are you going to get it done. And the fact is that Clovis Hills... Uh, has always been innovative. It's always been an early adopting type of organization. Yeah. And uh, that's not easy. I mean, it is important to, to be that. It's important to go along with the changes. But people generally don't like change. And so it's, that was always the greatest challenge, to continue to be innovative and still uh, keep everybody still coming at the same time. Some of you can relate to that. So... In, in light of that, and, and that being a value and so important of why we're here today and why the staff, half of them, are not, weren't alive at the time, all of that goes together. As the, as the ones who planted Clovis Hills, what do you see as the future of, the, of this church? What is your hope for Clovis Hills? You go first. You know, uh, from the very beginning, uh, I've always wanted because I saw the opportunity here it was wide open. And I, and I wanted to, to dream as big as I could so that the redemptive potential of this church... Now think about that. It, it, we are a redeeming community, and we have a potential to really be a positive influence in the world. So what's our potential? It, here's the truth. When I took it on, I realized it was unlimited. That's why we have 40 acres. And when we were bringing Sean, it's like uh, I wanted to hand off that unlimited potential for the future, for good, for the kingdom of God. And frankly, I believe that right now the redemptive potential of Clovis Hills is still unlimited. Amen. Yep. You, 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 we've got the acreage here and what you're growing here. You have the satellites that are happening. It, it's very exciting. I would say this. The key to, to a growth of any organization and a church is no... No, no less than any other, is the leaders. Everything rises and falls on leadership. I believe that. So we have people here today like Kimberly. I invited her to come back because without Kimberly on my staff, you wouldn't be sitting in this building. She and I together dreamed up and led the process that raised $3 million to put this building up. Amen. And Kimberly, we thank you. And there's others in here. Many of you know Dave Love. Most of you may not know uh, Mitch Harrison, who I think is here. Without Mitch Harrison, this church doesn't exist yeah. at this size. I'm just here to tell you. Yeah. He was the original rainmaker and an artist pastor of ex extraordinary ability. Um, and then when I was looking for a, <laughs> for a pastor, when you left, I, I thought the next guy I hire really needs to be my, the next senior pastor. 
And I knew I didn't, I hadn't met him. And so it took a while. It was a faith adventure, just like starting. God, somewhere there's a man who can take this and run with it better than I can. And I, it's what a, what a treat. God drew us together. And though we are different, you bring a whole power, man. I love what you got going on. And I see the future of Clovis Hills very much in Sean. I see things um, that he has brought forth and opened doors for us. Steve was as passionate about transitioning this church to new leadership. He did his doctoral studies in transitional leadership. It was a heart passion to transition well. We watched other churches um, where the pastor stayed too long. And that's, oh, that's hard to say because I love those people. Um, but it hurt the church when you stay too long. And then when that pastor would pass away or whatever would happen, uh, I asked one time about the wife of one of the pastors who had passed away and how she was doing, and they said, she doesn't go to church here anymore. And there aren't many times that I burst into tears, and I burst into tears, and I thought, oh my gosh, she lost her husband, and then she lost her church, she lost her community at this age in life. We're in our 70s. And this isn't one I want to lose my community. This isn't one I want to find a new church or go do something different. And Sean has left that door wide open for us to stay and to continue to be a part uh, and have our community around us as we move on to our, you know, whatever this chapter is that we're that we're in and we're we're very, very grateful. But what's ahead for this church, I see change. And change is just part of the future. And you have to change. You have to move forward with it. There are gonna be times when when you and it'll probably start with worship. That's very personal and it may not be your style, but now that you're here and you're a believer, it's no longer about you. It's about those who are out there who we're speaking to a culture. We're bringing that culture, whatever the new culture is. This isn't our gig, you know. Where's that Maranatha music of 1970? I mean, that's, <laughs> now you're talking our gig. But, but you have to transition and you have to move and it, it is no longer about you. It's about who is not here with us. And uh, Sean, Sean is the absolute perfect person to be sitting here and be doing this. I sat next to him at a dinner when we were praying about who, who, who is the guy that Steve's looking for. Like 10 years ago, yeah. 10 years ago. And yeah. I happened to end up sitting at him, next to him at a dinner somewhere. And uh, I remember looking over at him and saying, Lord, is this the guy? And, but I did that a lot, you know, because, Lord, is this the guy? We were looking. And when he walked into our house and Steve introduced me, it was like, hey, you were the guy. <laughs> and stuff. So anyway, he is the guy. He is, he and Kelly are Amen. here, they are here to leave. So, I didn't, sh- I didn't share this in the last um, one, but I, so, gosh, 20 years ago, I was a youth pastor, and um, my pastor had said, you're going to plant a church, you're going to be a great church planner, and I was like, well, I don't know how to do that, and I, okay, so he sent me to Saddleback Church, to a church planning conference. And I, my whole time going, I'm like, am I really supposed to do this? And um, I, I walked in, and the guy teaching at the seminar was Steve Davidson. 
And I said, oh, I know who this guy is because I had heard of Clovis Hills and um, I had been to another conference where he was and I was like, wow, this guy, I really like this guy. And he just went on and in his, in his own kind of humble way, like, listen, if I can do this, anyone can do this. In typical Steve fashion, um, humbly demurring to all, the, all his staff and, and, and all of that. But he just told stories over and over of people's lives that got changed that weren't going to church, that were far from God. And... Um, that he was trying to plant a church that people that didn't go to church liked. And I walked away from that day saying, I don't know if I can do this, but I'm gonna take a shot at it because I wanna do what he did. 20 years ago, never knowing, I'd sit on a a stage with you, preach in your pulpit and do do that thing. And um, it, it's, it's, it was really surreal when I first came here. I'm like, holy cow, like this is a guy I really look up to. Um, but, you know, Steve served on the, um, as the chairman of the board at California Baptist University and um, was very involved there. And then surely being an educator, I don't know if you guys know this, in our uh, E212 School of Ministry, our Refined School of Theology, um, she actually trains all the pastors because, you know, she caught right away the first week. She's like, you pastors can't teach for two and a half hours. You're not preaching, dummy. You got, let me show you how to teach a class. And she really has taught all of us how to teach a class. She's been a trainer of trainers. So... Um, We were trying to think of what is a way as a church we can honor the Davidsons, um, you know, and not give them like a a wristwatch or because this is not just the 30 year anniversary of the church. Steve also retired this year. And really what that means is he works for free. He comes and preaches for free now, which is awesome. (laughs) Him and Dave love. So praise the Lord. That's That's my kind of retirement. But we were like, what can we do to really honor people that, um, just stepped out in faith and we all sit here today because of their faith. And we, we thought about it and we thought about it and um, we ended up talking with some people and we raised some money and um, we raised um, some money for an endowed scholarship for people to go into um, school at California uh, Baptist University and study ministry, study theology and ministry. And we ended up raising $50,000 and I called Cal Baptist. I said, hey, we've got this for an endowment. And they said, hey, that's awesome. We have a thing right now where we will match it. And I was like, you do? That's awesome. That's $100,000. I said, let me call you back. And I called and there was, there was another person here in town who doesn't go to this church, but he loves and adores Steve. And he was just all in. And he said, I'll match it. So we were able to end up setting up a $200,000 endowed scholarship for ministry workers. It's, yeah, it's the Steve and Shirley Davidson um, endowed scholarship for the Bachelor of Art in Theology program. So there will be pastors being trained well beyond your years. Steve had the, I mean, who are you, Sean? (laughs) Sean had the kindness to tell me that on Friday because he did not want me to ugly cry on stage. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It is the greatest honor ever. Mm. So um, the, the guys from Cal Baptist... They were going to come and like bring the big check or whatever it was. And I said, I got 30 minutes. I don't need you guys here. Um, <laughs> and I'm friends with them. And Dr. Morgan, who is a dear friend of mine, and really both of us have looked up to Steve for years. He has a, just a video greeting for you if you'll fix your eyes on the screen. Thank you very much, Clovis Hills Church. We are very blessed to call you friends. Uh, thanks to Pastor Sean for his support and thanks to you for your generosity 
it's a delight to be able to honor Steve and Shirley Davidson uh, in this uh, Applied Theology Scholarship Award. It's a privilege to have known Steve all these years, and he's a good friend and been a blessing to me personally. He's come down to speak to our students several times, shares with them about ministry, about leadership, and has just been a friend and an advisor through the years. It's a great privilege to honor him. And the Applied Theology Scholarship is the perfect way to do it. We partner with churches. You raise up leaders. We want to be good stewards of those leaders. And we want together to help churches flourish through people who've been trained biblically, theologically, and pastorally. They learn 80 specific ministry skills while they're in our program. They get good scholarships because of churches like yours. And they get to be mentored and in a group together as they take classes together, uh, visit churches together, and live life together. Thank you very much, Clovis Hills. Clovis Hills Community Church, I uh, just wanted to say thank you uh, for this incredible gift that you've given to, to honor Steve and Shirley Davidson. This is a really exciting uh, opportunity for our students. Uh, many of you might know that this gift will be matched by an anonymous donor, uh, and then the university matches that gift. So your gift of $50,000 actually turns into a $200,000 endowed scholarship for Bachelor of Applied Theology students at CBU. What a great blessing. Uh, we're so thankful for you and for your generosity. Steve Davidson, as many of you also know, has been on the Board of Trustees at CBU off and on since 2007. He served as the Board Chair, as the Board Vice Chair. He served as the Chair of the Board Development Committee. He's been super key to CBU's success, and we're so thankful for everything he's done for CBU over all these years. And again, so thankful for the way you all are honoring Steve and Shirley through this scholarship. God bless you. Ladies and gentlemen, let's give it up for Steve and Shirley. You can be seated. Um, you know, when we were planning this day, um, in, in typical Steve fashion, he, he said, he goes, listen, we can't make a day all about me. This has to be about Jesus. And Sean, I want you to give him Jesus. So the Chihuahua is here to give you Jesus right now. <laughs> Yipping away. But no, um, <laughs> in, in, in all honesty, in, in, in Scripture, sometimes people go, well, why, why are we doing stuff like this? You, you have to understand, throughout Scripture, you find God's people constantly pausing to remember what God has done. Because there's something that happens when you do that it actually propels you to the future. See, so many times we get caught on the treadmill of the now and we're just running in the now and we can't see the future and we don't want to know about the future. And some of that is because we don't get off the treadmill and look back to what God has done in the past because what God is doing in the past usually predicates who he's going to be in the future for us. See, A.B. Vines two weeks or three weeks ago, he got up and he preached about how um, the Israelites during King Josiah, they hadn't celebrated the Passover, the, the, the thing that God did to free the Jews from, from Egypt. For 80 years, they had forgotten about it. And see, when you forget about the great saving acts of God, we lose our future. See, I, I find it highly ironic um, today that we did this. This morning, um, this whole year, I've been reading through the complete works of C.S. Lewis. 
And I'm toward the end of the year and I'm almost done. And I, now I'm at the fun stuff, like the Narnia stuff, the Lion, the Witch Wardrobe, The Last Battle, all that. And I'm reading that this morning. And the chapter I'm reading is in The Last Battle. And in this story, there's this version of Aslan, the lion, that they're telling all the Narnians about. That Aslan is mean. That Aslan is mad at you. That you better behave or Aslan's going to get you. And these Narnians had never seen Aslan. And this character is using the name of Aslan to manipulate them. Using guilt and shame and fear. And in come the sons of Adam, this boy and this girl. And they begin to tell the Narnians about the true Aslan. The Aslan is not mad at you. That Aslan has come to set you free. That you don't have to live in slavery to, to this, this false version of it. And as I was reading that, I was thinking, you know, this is what this church dreamed up 31 years ago in the living room. That Jesus is not mad at you. You don't have to get your act together to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. See, the Bible always very clear. It says that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. We're all imperfect. Our sin, and, and then it says later in Romans, it says that, that for the wages of our sin is death. And what that means is an eternal separation from God. And, and God was, is not mad about it, or he's not mad at us for it. He's come to fix it. He's come to redeem it. He's come to connect us back to him. And see, the Apostle John, he said it so clearly in John 1.12. He said, but as many as received him, Jesus, to those who believe in his name, he's given them the right to become children of God. That, that simple act of you opening your heart and receiving Jesus and trusting that you couldn't get your act together, you couldn't do it right, I couldn't do it right, we couldn't do it right, but Jesus did it for us. And some people think it, that's just too easy, but I, I, I'm here to give you the good news. It is just that easy. See, the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And you don't need to wait to get your act together to follow Jesus. You just need to receive him. It's that simple act of faith. And then here's what happens. When grace comes upon you, when you realize the grace of God, it actually moves you to obey. And that, that's, that's the beauty of the gospel is that, that, that God is doing that. I was speaking to someone the other day and they were, I, I asked them, I said, was there a moment in your life where you just knew Jesus was Lord and, 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 and you received him and, and, and the, the grace of God started moving you and they were like, well, no, I just kind of gone to church my whole life. And I thought, your day will come when the grace of God will knock at the door of your heart. As a matter of fact, Jesus even said in Revelation 3.20, he said, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone listens, I will come in. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, that, that the God of the universe, not mad at you, loves you. He stands at the door of your heart, begging for a relationship with you. He wants to know you because he's crazy about you. But God respects you and loves you so much. He gives you that choice. He would never force his love upon you. That you can decide, I want Jesus or I want my own way. You can say, Lord, I want your life that you've created for me. Or I'm going to create my own apart from you.
There's no in-between on it. But you have to make that decision and God respects your autonomy so much that he allows you to make that call, whether you will believe in Jesus or whether you will believe in yourself or your own way. But there is a way and he leaves that choice with you. And this morning, I wanna give you the opportunity, if you've never prayed to receive Jesus before, that you do that, that you open your heart because he stands at the door and he knocks. If maybe you prayed that prayer in VBS when you were 10 years old or at a camp when you were 15 or years ago, and maybe you've wandered, I wanna encourage you this morning just right where you're at. Maybe you just pray a prayer of coming home. Because I do know this about Jesus. He will always welcome you into his home. You may have strayed, but he is not mad. He just waits patiently for you to come home. So I'm gonna pray right now. And if, um, if we would just, wherever you're at, online, different campuses, venues, let's just all bow our heads right now.